there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Today's reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, thanks, Helen, and welcome to you. My name is Brian Harris, serve as pastor at large here at Kerry. My privilege to unpack this parable from Matthew 25 today. And I don't know if you've looked at this particular parable before, uh, but it raises some fascinating questions. I don't know if any of you remember the oil crisis back in the 1970s. Now, I feel like so old in asking a question like that because some of you weren't born in the 1970s. But, uh, and I don't know how it worked its way out in Australia. I was living in South Africa at the time, but there was an oil crisis in the 1970s. And that meant that countries around the world put all kinds of petrol restrictions into place. In South Africa, where I was living, it meant that you weren't allowed to buy petrol on a Sunday so that you couldn't take any nice long weekend trips because you couldn't buy petrol to allow you to get back. So that was fine, but I was doing my national service at that time, and the camp that I was based in was just over 600 kilometres from where I stayed. And the trouble was my car, little VW, had a petrol range of about 400 kilometres, so it meant I couldn't do that. But fortunately, I had a friend who had a Cortina, I think it was a Cortina, and it had a petrol range of just over 600 kilometres. So that was great. We'd kind of go back home together, and uh, on the Sunday, he would have just filled up kind of the last minute that you could fill up with, with, with petrol on the Saturday, he would have filled up, and then we'd go on this journey, which was just over 600 kilometres with this car that could go just over 600 kilometres. And kind of we would drive as cautiously as we possibly could, and... Uh, and it went perfectly every time. Uh, we would kind of get there, the, the, the kind of almost empty sign would be flashing. It went perfectly every time, except once. And we were about eight kilometers from home, and I don't know why, if we'd been, maybe the car wasn't kind of tuned as beautifully as it usually was, but there was just a sudden shuddering halt, and we couldn't go any further. 
So we got out and we kind of pushed the cart to the side of the road, parked it as safely as we thought we could. This was the day when hitchhiking was fine. We were about to hitch a, a, a ride for the rest of our way back to our camp. Uh, and a police car stopped. And a policeman jumped out and said, oh, you've, you've, your fellow's broken down. And he said, yeah, yeah, don't know what happened. Usually the car can make it, didn't this time. And he said, don't worry, I'll give you a lift back to your camp. And we thought, very nice, nice police. Uh, nice police force we have in this, the, the, this country. And we hopped in, we were kind of chatting all the way. He drove us back to our camp. And he said, okay, you can hop out now. Oh, just before you go, you do realise it's an offence to break down on the freeway. Uh, and you're not allowed to run out of petrol. And here's your fine. And he gave us a fine for just over 300 or In today's terms, it would have been about $300. We were seriously miffed, I can assure you. Kind of, it seems so friendly, so nice, so pleasant. And $300, yeah, your fine is uh, kind of police around the world. Just not very happy at all. But, but it raised the question. So what's it like to not actually have enough to finish a journey? Enough petrol, enough oil, enough what, whatever. And, and, and this is really the, the, the question that's been raised in this parable here. And it's a parable that uh, lives in the context a little bit different to our own, so you, it, but it's not hard to imagine. It's not actually hard to imagine. It's a, it's a parable, if you look in Matthew chapter 25, you probably really need to read Matthew 24 and 25 together as a block to really understand what's going on, because Jesus is getting towards the end of his ministry, but when you get to Matthew chapter 26, uh, we start to deal with the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is just before the crucifixion of Jesus, and Jesus is giving some final teaching about his, 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 his return. And he's saying, how will you know that I'm going to return one day? And in Matthew chapter 24, he gives a great deal of teaching about his, his, his return, and he assures us that he will come back one day. And perhaps the key things that he says there are really just uh, Matthew 24, verse, verse 36, but about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. A staggering statement that we must remember. Jesus says that actually the Father knows when it will happen, but even though I'm God, even though I'm the Son, I don't know exactly when I'm returning. So when you hear people very confidently predicting when the return of Christ well, is going to be, just remember they're claiming to be brighter than Jesus, and that seems to be improbable. So first thing that, that, that we're told in Jesus' teaching is you're not going to know just when I'm coming back, but I am, I am. And so verse 42, he gives perhaps the keynote teaching then, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So I will be coming back. You're not going to predict it correctly. You're not going to get it right, but know that I will be coming back again. And then he moves to Matthew chapter 25, and let's remember that uh, kind of the original Gospels, when they're written, didn't have any chapter divides, but it's the next logical theme. So he's been saying, you're not going to know just when I'm coming back again. But it raises the question, how then should we live? How then should we live? So if I don't know when you're coming back, how, how must I live? And Jesus gives three quick parables that, that give us a lot of direction. And the first parable, which is the one that we're looking at today, verses 1 through to 13 in Matthew 25, uh, the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, depending on your translation, basically says one simple thing. It basically says, uh, be ready at any time and make sure that you've got what it takes. Be ready at any time, making sure that you've got what it takes to be ready. And parable number two, a parable of the bags of gold or the parable of the talents, again, depending on your translation, uh, it goes from verse 14 through to verse 30. And it basically says, and while you're waiting, use every gift, use every talent that God has given you, because you will be called to account for what you've done with God has given you. 
And then the third parable, from 31 through to the end of Matthew 25, it says very simply, it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, and it's the parable that basically says uh, that, that we must do good to people while we wait. We must be kind. And it's a parable that says, if you haven't done this for the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you haven't done it for me. And Jesus says that I come to you in unexpected ways. I come to you in the form of the person who's in prison. I come to you in the form of the naked person. I come to you in the form of the person who doesn't have enough food. And Jesus says that if you don't show care to people like that, then you didn't show care to me. So, so you pack the, package those three together, and Jesus is saying, so I'm coming back again. You're not going to know when, but be ready. It could be at any time, and make sure you've got what it takes. Make sure you've got what it takes to, to, to actually be ready. And you can do that by using the gifts that I've given you and you can do that by showing kindness and love to other people. And it's, it's a wonderful kind of summary chapter of how to always be ready for the coming of Jesus. But let's dive into this particular parable then, uh, the, the, the first of the three parables, Matthew 25, 1 to 13, the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. What, what happens here? So we need to understand just a little bit about wedding practices in the ancient world. Now, now they weren't that different to our own. Perhaps the key thing is that they went on ever so much longer. So it was very common for a wedding ceremony to go on for anything from five to seven days. Just imagine being the parents and having to fund that one, hey? Five a week of celebrations. And different things were done at different stages. But let's remember again that, that in this world, I mean, we think in terms of time, in terms of, of chronos time, chronological time, or tick-tock time, clock-clock time. Uh, in the ancient world, you didn't think of time in terms of five minutes to three o'clock or something like that. You thought of time in terms of a sequence of events. And if you ask someone what time will, it will happen, something happen, you would not say it will happen at quarter past four. You would say what it would happen after, because life was a series of events. And an event took as long as it took. So, so in our world, we, we're obsessed with, you know, we allow an hour and 15 minutes for this. But if you were an ancient, you would say, how long will an event last? An event lasts as long as it lasts. <laughs> you know, that might seem very vague. But basically, they, they would say... And events last as long as it lasts, so if we're here for a celebration, well, when we've celebrated, then we've celebrated. And sometimes it takes a little while to get into something, and sometimes it doesn't, but when the event's over, then it's over, and then the next event can actually take place. Now, that's fine, but uh, if you were a bridesmaid in an ancient wedding, one of your tasks was that you had to wait for the, 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 the groom's party, his, uh, the kind of all the groomsmen and so on, and they, they would have, I suppose, the equivalent of what today we would call a stag party. And uh, that would finish when it finished. And you can imagine a stag party, kind of, how long does it take? It takes as long as it takes, and when it finishes, it finishes. And so if you're a bridesmaid, you, you, you're kind of waiting, and, and your task then is that as the, 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 the groom and his, his bridal party comes, you have got to light his way uh, to where the wedding ceremony is going to take place, where the banquet is going to take place. And if it was at night time, that meant that you would have some poles, and there would be like this cloth on top of the poles, and it would need to be soaked in oil, and you'd light it. And there'd usually be about 10 bridesmaids, and it, it was actually very colorful and, and, and very lovely. There'd be about 10 of them that, uh, kind of in the dark night, and you'd see all these uh, kind of oil-soaked rags that were burning a light, and you'd just see these, uh, the, these kind of bright lights coming, and you'd know, oh, the bridal party's coming, and everyone would get very, very excited. So, so that's what they had to do. But as I say, you, you didn't quite know 
when you'd have to do that. It wasn't a day of texts. No one could suddenly text you and say, you, you know, they're coming in three minutes' time, be ready or whatever. Uh, the event would be finished when the event was finished. And Jesus says, so here's one where the stag party takes quite a long time and you know, everyone's delayed and it's taking forever and there are 10 bridesmaids and they've gone out and five of them have thought, have realized an event takes as long as an event takes and sometimes that's a very long time and the oil that we've got might not be enough. We better take some in, in, in reserve and others have just rushed out with what they've got and have nothing in reserve. And Jesus says that because in this, this event, which takes longer than maybe they anticipated, they come. Uh, in fact, the bridesmaids have fallen asleep. It's been taking so long. Uh, suddenly the cry comes out, the bridegroom's coming, and they have to light their poles, and they have to light them to, 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 to lead the, the, the groomless party through. And for five of the bridesmaids, they just don't have enough oil. And Jesus basically says, that's embarrassing. That's awkward. Uh, I mean... I don't know if you've ever been in a bridal party, but usually there are a few little specific things that you're supposed to do. So like if you're the best man and it's the wedding ceremony, what do you have to do? You have to have the ring and you've got to pass it over. And like if you don't, it's like kind of, so could I please have the ring? Oops, I forgot. It's like, that's the only thing you had to do. How could you forget that? And, and you know, for the bridesmaids, this is one of like a small number of things that you have to do. You've got to light the, 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 the kind of groom's party there. And, oops, sorry, not ready for it. It's like, that's a serious faux pas. You shouldn't do that. And so Jesus says they get excluded from, from the wedding banquet. And he says in the end, so watch out and be ready because the Son of Man might come at a time when you're not expecting it. So what does the parable have to say to us? And I, I think it does actually say a number of things. I think firstly that there is something that we must hear. There's something that we must hear. And I think the hear is this. Listen to this, Jesus is saying. You might think that following me is a journey that is like I say yes to Jesus and everything goes right and uh, it's, it's the wedding celebration, it's the inauguration of God's kingdom which, was, which, is, which the, the, the wedding banquet kind of symbolizes. That's all going to be nice and easy and Jesus is saying, no, it, it might take more from you than you imagine. It might take more from you than you imagine. It might take a lot longer than you imagine. And it might be more difficult than you actually imagine. Make sure that you have something within. It's like he's, he's giving a warning. And remember, this is just before the cross. And he's been saying, so my kingdom is actually going to come. I mean, you're not going to believe it because I'm soon going to be crucified. And you're going to think, you know, because he's crucified, it's not going to happen. But, but, but just see beyond that but it's going to take more from you than you might actually imagine, and it's going to be longer than you might imagine, and it's going to be more difficult than you actually imagine. Hear that. I'm, I'm wanting you to hear that. And so I guess you see so many, uh, so many instances in Scripture which remind us that while we are people who want instant solutions, that's never what the Bible is actually interested in. I mean, if you go to something like Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Do, do you remember what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I mean, those are qualities that don't just happen just like that. It's not like I accept Jesus into my life and now I will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and it just comes just like that. It's not like that. It's a slow process. And I become loving and I become joyful and I become all these things, often through much struggle and through much difficulty. It, it takes a while. And sometimes it's more difficult than I might imagine. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you're embarking on the right journey, but it might take a little longer and it might require more from you than you actually imagine. There's a story told of, of uh, John Wesley, the, the famous founder of Methodism. And uh, he used to enjoy working in his garden 
and one day he was busy pruning his roses. And someone came to him and said, Mr. Wesley, uh, you know, if you knew that Jesus was coming back in an hour's time, what would you do? You know, if you, if you knew Jesus was definitely coming back, we had this definitively, he's on his way, someone spotted him, it's another hour to get here. So, so what would you do? And Wesley said, I'd carry on pruning my roses. You know, which is a profound answer. A profound answer, because Wesley was saying, listen, you can't live your life in such a way, or you must live your life in such a way that you are perpetually ready. That actually, when Jesus comes, and it's going to be at a time that you don't expect, you're not going to suddenly feel awkward, awkward. You know, if only you'd come on Tuesday, all would have been fine. Uh, you, you know, why did you have to come on Monday? This is the worst possible time. I always am in a bad mood on a Monday, and you've caught me at it. I mean, you can't live like that. It's kind of you've got to be perpetually ready, is what he's saying. And if we aren't, if we would feel, you know, if I knew that Jesus was coming back in an hour's time, and I had to things desperately different. Why haven't I already done them? Why haven't I already done them? I must live in a different kind of a way because of the return of Jesus. I think the reformers expressed it just slightly differently, but the concept was very, very profound. Uh, Martin Luther used to say, we live quorum Deo. We live quorum Deo. What does quorum Deo mean? We live in the face of God. And, and, and Luther was saying that, that all our living takes place in, in, in the face of God. In other words, as I live, I can imagine that here God is. And as I'm doing different things in my life, God watches. Now, now, now Luther did not mean by that. He didn't mean like that. God is watching. Oh, be careful. God saw what you said. He heard that naughty word that you said. Or what. He's not saying that. He's saying this is the liberating truth. We always live our lives in the face of God. God knows everything that is happening in our lives. Live in the light of the fact that you're never separated from God. Don't live dualistically. Don't live, you know, one day I'm kind of like following God and then, no, actually this moment is my secular moment and then I'm back and being in a God moment. Don't, don't live like that. We always live Coram Deo. We always live in the face of God. And when we know that we live in the face of God and that God is always there, then we live and act in a different kind of a way. And so it's a plea to a life of integrity. It's a plea to always be living with the awareness that, 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 that God is. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to hear something. This is going to take more from us than we might imagine. I think that the second thing that we need to do is that, that, that we need to ask ourselves, so if this journey is going to be more difficult than we might imagine, if it might be a little longer than we might imagine, uh, what do I have within me? What do I have within me? So, so in the parable, it's do you have enough oil for your lamps? Do you have enough, uh, enough oil so that, 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 that when it's required, you can make this? So, so I need to translate and say, so what do I have within me? What inner resources am I cultivating? Now, there are different ways that you can have oil in your lamps. There are different ways that you can cultivate uh, inner strength. I think the psalmist speaks about it in Psalm 1, one of the very beautiful psalms, uh, when he writes this, Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his Lord day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf, leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Do, do, do you see what the psalm is saying? Blessed is the person who walks in step with God, 
who meditates on the law of the Lord. They're like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Not straight away, but it's like you do something, you invest in something, and over time, you become a more significant person. Over time, there is actually a reservoir inside of you, so that when that day comes, you actually find, actually, I do have it. I do have the strength for, strength for, the, for, for, for the journey. I have been living Coram Deo. I do live in the face of God. I do live in the knowledge of God. I'm reading a wonderful book at the moment by Padre uh, Otamo uh, called In the Shelter. And in it, uh, Otama tells about a, a tribe in Papua New Guinea that doesn't have a word for hello. And apparently it's a kind of in this, this, this remote area. And if you, if you arrive there, uh, because there is no word in their language for hello, their greeting is, you are here, you are here. And the reply that's expected from you is, yes, I am. You are here, yes, I am. And in, in his book, In the Shelter, Otama just develops that, 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 that idea and says, so, so what would it mean to say hello to here? What would it mean to say hello to here? Think through the green. So you are here. Yes, I am. Hello to here. Think about your life at the moment. Where are you? I mean, if I think of my life, for example, I'm in my 60s at the moment. I've never been in my 60s until relatively recently. And it is actually a new stage of life. And when you're in a new stage of life, you have to say, so what am I going to do? Do I fight this or do I say, hello to here? This is a new stage of life. And what does it mean to live quorum Deo in the face of God in this new stage of life? Because if God is here and if God is with me, my answer isn't to try and get out of this stage or to be something different. It is to say, you are here, yes I am, and God is here, so hello to here. Or, for example, uh, we have three children. They're now all married. Our youngest one, Jet, got married, married this year. First time in 34 years, Rosemary and I have been empty nesters. Oh, it's good. And, uh, but it's different. It is different, actually. And so you say, okay, so, so for all this time we've been in this kind of, we parents raising children and we need to worry about them and are they back in time and are they? No, no, actually... You are here, and you have an empty home. It's just the two of you. You're empty nesters. You are here. Yes, I am. Hello to here. What does it mean to spot the face of God in the midst of this, to live quorum Deo here? Or, and, and I can go on, and, and I mean, I don't know what your circumstances in life are, but I, I want you to think through some of them. I mean, sometimes it, it happens in a wonderfully joyful way. We had a baby dedication to, 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 to today. And so, I mean, for Dave and Georgia, uh, you are new parents. Uh, yes, we are. Hello to here. Can, can, can you say hello to here? I mean, if you're a new parent, I mean, you hardly get a second to think, do you? So it can be quite difficult to actually say, oh, my goodness, I'm in a different stage of life. But, but hello to here. I'm not a parent. I'm not raising this child. What does it mean to live Coram Deo in this particular time? Sometimes it happens at excruciating moments. You might have a marriage that's collapsing. And you might be looking at it and you may be saying, oh my goodness, I don't think we're going to make it. I, I just don't think we're going to make it. Maybe you've just had another fight and maybe it's gone quite badly. And you hear the words, you are here. You are here. And you look and you think, oh, grief. Just look at where I am. I want to be anywhere else. You are here. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I'm here Coram Deo. I'm here in the face of God. And God knows and sees and says, so say hello to here. 
and embrace all the challenges of Na and live all the challenges deeply and live them in a transforming way. Or maybe you've lost someone who's really very dear to you and very special to you. And for the first time, you've got to think of living without them. You are here. Yes, I am. Hello to here. What does it mean to live Coram Deo in the face of God without you? You see, this is how I develop oil and I grow oil in my lamp and something happens inside of me and I know that actually God is not apart from this. But God is inviting me to go deeper into him. Hello to here. Or it can be, as I say, celebrating moments. Yeah, I've just received a promotion at work and I've been longing for it for so long and, 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 and I've got the breakthrough and it's happened and, and, and there you go. I am here, you are here. Yes, I am. Hello to here. I live Coram Deo. What does it mean to actually live knowing that God is here and God is in this moment with me? You see, this is about going deep with Jesus. It's about going deep with Jesus. And this parable is saying to us, so, so it's actually a long journey that lies ahead. It's not like just a short journey that you say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. And you know, 10 minutes later, you whisk off to heaven. And, and that. it doesn't happen like that. It's a journey that goes on and there are lots of twists and turns. And Jesus is saying, recognize it's going to be difficult at times. Recognize that sometimes it's going to be quite hard. Recognize that you need to go deep. Recognize that something's going to be expected from you. Recognize that you need to live always in the face of God, embracing everything that God brings your, 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 your way. Last thing. Notice that this parable tells us that, you know, when, when the bridegroom comes and the five bridesmaids discover that they don't have enough oil in their, their lamp, they say to the five who do, you know, won't you loan us some of yours? You, you know, I'm sure that, you know, if you give us some of yours, it will be all right. But uh, they're told, no, actually, and the answer is not horrible. It's just very pragmatic. If we try to give you some of ours, there's just not going to be enough. And then there will be no lights at all. It's really disappointing what you've done. There's supposed to be these, these kind of 10 bright poles lit up and, and, and kind of leading the, 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 the procession through. Now they're only going to be five. But really, if we try to share what we've got with you, then there'll be none at all. So we can't do it. We can't. And I guess it's saying to us, you can't live off the spiritual resources of someone else. You do actually have to dig deep yourself. You do have to dig deep yourself. And the fact that your wife is a wonderful follower of Jesus or your husband or your friend or your whatever doesn't actually hack it in the end. You've got to dig deep yourself. You've got to dig deep yourself. Now, now, now you could hear that in different ways. You could hear that almost as Jesus saying, I don't think you're ready. I don't think you've got what it takes. You know, you know change yourself, be different. Uh, no, no, no. It's actually, Jesus is actually speaking grace here. He's saying, listen, you're probably not ready, but there's time. And I'm telling you while there is time to dig deep within because there's still opportunity and you can still become ready. And there is still a moment of grace for you. So, so why not open yourself to me? And it seems to me that in the journey of becoming substantially deeper followers of Jesus, and that's what we all want to be, I hope, deeper followers of Jesus. In that particular journey, part of the journey is the journey from what I'd call the journey from belief to the journey to trust. The journey from belief to the journey to trust. You see, if I were to say, say to you right now, do you believe in God? Do you believe that God exists? I mean, I don't want to speak for the whole group, I imagine that the significant majority of people would say, yes, I believe that God exists. Some of you may not, it's fine, fair, 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 fair enough, but I imagine the vast majority would say, I believe that God exists. So, so that's what you believe, but do you trust 
deeply that God exists. It's a different thing to trust that God exists. Because when I trust that God exists, it's not just in my head, it's like through my whole being. I live in the light of the fact that God is. Or do you believe that the Bible is essentially true and that it's a helpful book and that you can build your life in it? Do, do you believe it? I imagine that the vast majority of people are able to say, yeah, yeah, I, I think the Bible's a wonderful book and it's a great book and I, I do try to build my life. In it. So you believe that, but do you trust deeply in the guidance that God gives us so that you will actually just springboard into life saying, I can take this leap and it will be well. I trust that. Do you believe that God died on Calvary for you, that God died to forgive your sin, that you are forgiven and that you're given a new life and that God loves you. I imagine that you believe that, but do you deeply trust that? Have you let that saturate through every part of your being so that you know that actually when you wake up one day and you say, he's gone or she's died or the marriage has collapsed or I've lost my job or the house is burnt down. You are here. Yes, I am. Hello to here. I live Coram Deo. And I know, I actually know deeply, deeply, deeply within, I know that even though all this is happening, God can be trusted. God is love. God cares for me. God has a plan. God will see me through. Jesus is saying it's a long, tough journey. Don't underestimate it. Let God work deeply, deeply, deeply within you and develop some reservoir there because in the journey that is life, there will be many testing moments. But God is always there and God will see you through. Let's pray. Maybe just pause for a moment and just reflect on your own life. So what's going on right now? What is your you are here moment? Some it's a joyful one, for some much more painful. What does it mean to say hello to here? Trusting God in it. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are not called to live alone. Thank you, Father, that you invite us to live in the light of your face, in the light of your presence, in the light of the fact that you're always with us. Help us to live as deep people who bear fruit in season. Amen.